Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Dean Clancy, senior policy fellow at the Americans for Prosperity. We'll visit with uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. He also writes his column for Newsmax.com. It is July the 7th, and on this day in 1930, construction of the Hoover Dam began. Over the next five years, a total of 21,000 men would ceaselessly work uh, what would be the largest dam in the, of its time, as well as one of the largest man-made structures in the world. Although the dam would take only five years to build, its construction was nearly 30 years in the making. Arthur Powell Davis, an engineer from the Bureau of Reclamation, originally had his vision for the Hoover Dam uh, back in 1902, and his engineering report on the topic became the guiding document when plans were finally made to begin the dam in 1922. Herbert Hoover, the 31st president of the United States and a committed conservationist, played a crucial role in making Davis's vision a reality. As Secretary of Commerce in 1921, Hoover devoted himself to the erection of a high dam in Boulder Canyon. The dam would provide essential flood control, which would prevent damage to downstream farming communities that suffered each year when the snow from the Rocky Mountains melted and joined the Colorado River. Further, the dam would allow the expansion of irrigated farming in the desert and would provide a dependable supply of water for Los Angeles and other Southern California communities. <clears throat> Even with uh, Hoover's exuberant backing and regional consensus around the need to build the dam, congressional approval and individual state cooperation was slow in coming. For many years, water rights had been a source of contention among the western states and had claims on the Colorado River. To address this issue, Hoover negotiated the Colorado River Compact, which broke the river basin into two regions with the water divided between them. Hoover then made, uh, had to introduce and reintroduce the bill to, to build the dam several times over the next few years before the House and the Senate finally approved the bill in 1928. In 1929, Hoover, now president, signed the Colorado River Compact in, into law claiming it was the most extensive action ever taken by a group of states under the provisions of the Constitution permitting compacts between states. Once preparations were made, the Hoover Dam's construction sprinted forward. The contractors finished their work two years ahead of schedule and millions of dollars under budget. Compare that to that Los Angeles to San Francisco rail line. Uh, today, the Hoover Dam uh, generates enough energy each year to serve over a million people and stands in Hoover Dam artist Oscar Hansen's words as a monument to collective genius exerting itself in the community efforts around a common need or ideal. <clears throat> the Hoover Dam. Amazing. I wish there were other locations across the United States that could uh, harness the power you know, of uh, hydropower. It is a tremendous. It makes tremendous contribution to our well-being. Well, earlier this week, a study found that 45% of Americans' tap water could be contaminated with PFAs. Over the span of five years, the study tested tap water from over 700 U.S. locations for 32 different types of forever chemicals. Now researchers say the Great Plains, Great Lakes, and urban areas near industry or waste sites that have higher levels of PFAs in the tap water. One of the study's authors uh, said <clears throat> people can reach out to their local health officials to learn more about tap water treatment and testing. Other ex experts say people can install water filters that can reduce uh, PFA levels. I, for one, prefer uh, bottled water. Uh, because I, you know, we, we actually have fluoride in our water. Well, fluoride is not like the fluoride in your toothpaste. It's a separate and different 
chemical, different uh, molecule, and it is not good for you. I know they only have trace levels in the water, but nevertheless, uh, I prefer uh, bottled water. Bottled water. Yesterday was another good news, bad news day on Wall Street after the ADP employment report showed private sector companies added to more than two times the jobs that were forecast last month. Stocks fell and Treasury yields surged, an indication that investors expected the Fed to resume hiking interest rates to cool down the job market. Well, the job market is just levitating. It's unbelievable. Uh, the level of jobs that are being created sometimes makes me think that people are just working out two jobs in order to keep up with inflation. A new movie based on a real story about saving children from brutal human traffickers scored the number one spot in theaters on July the 4th, a huge victory for its faith-based promoters, including CPAC, uh, which debuted the film to draw attention to its new program to stop the international crime. Sound of Freedom is the name of the movie, and it's projected to have made $14.5 million in part due to the Angel Studios' efforts to pre-sell tickets. The company said the movie earned $11.5 million at the box office and another $2.7 million through its Pay It Forward program. We went to see the movie yesterday. It is absolutely jaw-dropping. It is fantastic. I encourage everyone to see The Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom was produced in 2018, five full years ago, and 20th Century Fox acquired the distribution rights, but after Disney acquired Fox in early 2019, it shelved the movie <clears throat> and then took back the producer's years to acquire the distribution right back from Disney. Angel Studios, the company behind the worldwide hit that Chosen, acquired Sound of Freedom in 2023 and now owns what will certainly be the most profitable independent movie of the year, a movie that in a single day outgrossed the total gross of three of last year's Oscar contenders. So why would Disney Grooming Syndicate dump a movie with a meager $15 million production budget starring a bankable star like Jim Casavell and a full-blown Oscar winner like Myra Sorvino? Easy answer. Under CEO Bob Iger, Disney became demonic, and today is very different morally corrupt. Disney wants nothing to do with anything associated with uh, uh, Christianity. Secondly, the same Disney uh, that is now so aggressively defending child grooming and engaging in grooming and sexualizing little kids just likely wanted nothing to do with a movie that condemns child trafficking. And finally, looking back on the political climate in 2019, Iger had made no secret of his desire to run for president as a Democrat. And, of course, no Democrat wants to be tied closely to an issue like that. But the arc of history does bend towards justice, doesn't it? And the Disney Grooming Syndicate has released one money-losing flop after another. But Sound of Freedom will go to make a nice, fat profit. It's projected to gross up to $28 million by uh, Monday. And the Sound of Freedom just handed Disney's deal, Dial of a Destiny Flop, another humiliating headline. The shareholders must be thrilled. Between Sound of Freedom, The Chosen, The Only Son, and others, Angel Studios is achieving what Disney has lost, audiences, trust, and goodwill. People are starting to see that Angel Studio brand is not only trustworthy when it comes to kind of content they want to see, but also, and more importantly, the quality of the content Sound of Freedom earned a rare A-plus from CinemaScore. <clears throat> it's a great movie, and I strongly encourage you to see it. It just flashes, shows a light, shines a light on uh, the child trafficking, what's actually going on here in the United States. Over 2 million children trafficked, and uh, what they're doing to these kids is absolutely brutal, and it's so sad. So uh, it's, a, it's a great story. It's an engaging story. It's, uh, it's not a documentary. It's an actual true story about a guy that committed his life to saving children. I hope you'll have an opportunity to see The Sound of Freedom. <clears throat> a recent report reveals that cocaine discovered at the White House earlier this week was actually located in a different area than initially reported. How can that be? Uh, the illicit substance was found in a cubby near the White House's executive entrance West Executive Entrance. Initial accounts say that the cocaine was found in a reference lobby, but later statements from officials indicated it was actually discovered in the West Wing work area. President Trump weighed in on the latest Biden cocaine scandal on Wednesday. Does anybody really believe that cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House, very close to the Oval Office, is for the use of anyone other than Hunter and Joe? 
Uh, but watch, the fake news media will soon start saying that the amount was found was very small and it wasn't really cocaine, but a very small amount of ground-up aspirin and so forth. As the deranged Jack Smith, the crazy Trump-hating special prosecutor, been to the scene in the area of the, co- uh, of the cocaine, he looks like a crackhead to me, <laughs> said Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the Secret Service already knows who has the cocaine and who's stuffed it in the cubby, but they will protect the illegitimate Biden regime as they continue to destroy uh, the country. Those comments from President Trump. Well, pollster uh, Jer- uh, Z- Jeremy Zogby said a sign that President Biden might be eyeing a 2024 exit in uh, an uncontrollable and controversial story coming out of the White House on the pressure campaign from the media. He pointed the cocaine investigation inside the White House as one example. I'll put it this way, he explained, and this is Zogby speaking, after an unprecedented barrage of coverage of the president over the last three to four weeks consisting, consistently portraying significant weaknesses, all while Gavin Newsom is emerging in the spotlight, this breaking news appears to be an anti-up-the-ante uh, the Biden family or staff may well have nothing to do with this, but how will the public ultimately perceive it as the uh, following the recent string of relentless negative portrayals, said uh, Zogby. He also cited last week's hyped up news that Biden naps with the CPAP on. <laughs> and then there's this Biden's approval rating. They're lower and the lowest point since Jimmy Carter. He's not popular. He's not a good leader. He's a uh, he's a. Uh, he compromised the United States of America. He ought to go somehow, some way. And I'm speaking of legally, perhaps through uh, through an, uh, impeachment. Well, according to the report from Bloomberg, over for the first time, six fast-growing states in the South, and that would be Florida, Texas, Georgia, Carolina, and Tennessee, are contributing more to the national GDP than the Northeast uh, with its Washington, New York, uh, Boston corridor. This initially became true in 2021, but the gap between these states and the Northeast has expanded over the past year. Today, those six southern states contribute 1.4 percentage points more to GDP than the entire Northeast. Among the main reasons for this is the massive migration from major cities in the Northeast, such as New York and Washington, D.C., and uh, into the South. Internal Revenue Service Data shows that interstate migration helped steer about $100 billion in new income to the Southeast in 2020 and 2021 alone, while the Northeast bled out about $60 billion. This is consistent with the data published yearly by the National Association of Realtors, which showed that five out of ten states with the most out-migration are in the Northeast. Interesting story, huh? Soon, uh, I think uh, the leadership elected officials are beginning to realize, hey, uh, people are not buying what we're selling in these blue states. Maybe they ought to change their tune. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to performances. Just visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dean Clancy. He's a senior policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, we're a nonprofit legal group, and we defend Americans from government. Oh, I should say this: we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. I would imagine that's more focused on uh, the policy issues of trying to protect the American Constitution than trying to select people that are in need. Oh, shoot, it runs the gamut. Does I mean, it? you know, to be sure, we're covering federal constitutional issues, uh, policy issues, state uh, constitutional issues, state policy issues. Huh. Um, where property rights are threatened will be there. Outstanding. Uh, I think it's pacificlegal.org, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. So let's talk about what's going on in Capitol Hill. And first of all, this is such an interesting and, and really important decision on the part of the court, temporarily forbidding federal government's uh, employees from participating in social media censorship. Uh, I hope you could expand those thoughts and tell us about it. In, indeed, this is remarkable. So a July 4th order came down on Independence Day out of a federal court in Louisiana um, from Judge Terry Doughty. And as you set forth, it prohibits the Biden administration from, quote, urging, encouraging, pressuring or inducing um, any social media company to take down content. And this pertains to a lawsuit that was brought by the attorneys generals of uh, Missouri and Louisiana and some affected social media users um, who allege, uh, a, quote, a censorship enterprise, uh, basically that the government is uh, pressuring, using unconstitutional pressure on social media companies to effectively take down conservatives' viewpo uh, viewpoints. And in, so what sort of pressure are they talking about? They're saying that the Biden administration threatened antitrust uh, mm -hmm. prosecutions against these companies if they didn't do their bidding. Wow. Um, so at this point, it's an allegation. And I should note that this is a preliminary injunction. So that's just legalese for... The judge has, has ordered a halt to this sort of activity while the lawsuit plays out. Um, but uh, the, these are explosive allegations. Many of them have been somewhat corroborated um, in the, the Twitter files release. This is this uh, project with Elon Musk and a number of reporters in which he's been detailing the extent of these um, collaborations between government um, and Twitter under its prior ownership. But uh, there are more facts to come. I mean, again, this is a, at a preliminary stage, and uh, courts in our system, of, uh, in the American system, are sort of the perfect place for uh, uh, the production of facts. Um, now, to be sure, the Biden administration is likely to appeal this, um, and that would go through the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and, you know, we're dealing sort of in terra incognita, legally speaking. Mm -hmm. These issues haven't arisen before, so... 
Um, it's difficult to prognosticate, but nonetheless, this was a major, um, just a, a truly a stunning order. And as the judge said, and I quote here, if these allegations brought by the plaintiffs are true, this would be, quote, the most massive attack uh, on free speech in U.S. history. Wow. Um, so, again, this is a big deal and certainly something to keep an eye on. Well, I mean, it, speaking only for me, I, I, <clears throat> I, it just all, I believe that this has been going on for years. And, of course, uh, the Democrats will want to have, win elections. That's what maintaining power and, and so forth is all about. So if they're able to do it, you understand that they're going to do it. So it's just really, it's just so refreshing to hear that the courts are stepping in and, and going to now do something to prevent it. I don't disagree. And I will note with respect to the allegations and the time frame here, they say that indeed, yes, it was in 2017 during the Trump administration when the groundwork for, for this sort of activity was laid. Um, and it was during coronavirus when, when perhaps it, 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 it sort of the activity uh, perked up. Uh-huh. But they allege that it's only during the Biden administration when this stuff went out of control. Um, so and there does seem to be, um, or, well, I'll say this, anecdotal evidence that I've come across, and, and certainly the allegations at play here, um, you know, the, 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 Dem- the Biden administration, they speak of misinformation, disinformation on these subjects of, you know, climate change and right. abortion policy and COVID. Um, but at the end of the day, it does seem as though uh, the ultimate subjects of these uh, uh, the censorship efforts are always conservatives. Um, so to the extent that the, the Biden administration and Democrats allowed sort of their values viewpoint um, regarding these uh, fraught political issues to, in essence, if they're allowing, if they're just uh, calling conservative policy disinformation yeah. um, and then using that as their legal basis to censor their opponents, then that's a troubling outlook. And, and again, just, so this is a an important development, and, and here's to hoping the court gets to the bottom of it. Absolutely, and of course it just uh, comes right <laughs> out of the script of 1984. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alas. So, uh, changing topics, <clears throat> Supreme Court rejected Biden's unilateral student loan cancellation plan. I wanted to get your comments on that. It did. So, Biden, uh, this <clears throat> is the case, uh, Biden versus Nebraska, um, just, uh, we, uh, broached uh, the fact that the court would be reaching the issue last Friday. Um, and it, more so than anything else, the court relied on common sense. So, of course, the 2003 HEROES Act, which was enacted right after the Iraq, uh, uh, Iraq War began and was plainly intended to uh, benefit service members and their families, of course this statute did not authorize the president to unilaterally um, cancel student debt uh, at a cost of anywhere between half a trillion and up to a trillion um, for all Americans. So yeah. it, it was uh, no surprise, legally speaking, how this one turned out. And indeed, uh, for me, it's it's perhaps surprising that it wasn't unanimous because, again, it, it, it simply belies common sense. It, it belies all, all logic, defies all logic. Um, that the president could use this narrow 2003 statute that no one had ever heard of and turn it into the most consequential education policy ever. So it sounds like uh, uh, President Biden, old Joe's looking for workarounds around the Supreme Court decision. (laughs) So exactly. Um, Having had this one avenue of unilateral presidential action uh, uh, foreclosed or or precluded, um, he is now turning to another. Um, so uh, in the immediate wake of the Supreme Court's decision, uh, the Biden administration announced that it will try to uh, it will attempt to achieve the same result, um, but using a different unilateral path. Um, so instead of the HEROES Act, it's going to employ the Higher Education Act. Um, and again, it's on uh, it's on very shaky ground, yeah. legally speaking, when it attempts to leverage these. Um, dated, uh, you know, what it basically dusts off these old statutes and attempts yeah. to give them entirely new meaning. Um, uh, I'll note this, whereas this, the first effort entailed no process. I mean, they, they just did it uh-huh. um, overnight. Uh, this one, pursuant to the Higher Education Act, this unilateral attempt at student debt cancellation, they're going to have to jump through a lot of procedural hoops. So 
Um, the, the, the best I can say about this effort is that it would take at least a year and a half before the courts would get a chance to strike it down. William Yateman, again, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. I hope you check out the website, pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dean Clancy. He's a senior policy fellow at the Americans for Prosperity. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. You're a valued professional RN. There's a path that takes you to the next level. Hodges University offers an RN to BSN program that, like you, is way above average. RNs with a BSN have a faster track to pursuing leadership positions and can see faster hourly rate increases than those with an ASN. You can earn your BSN with Hodges in just one year. Classes are online and start in August. Scholarships are available. Become the next level nursing professional. Do more. Earn more. Be more. Visit Hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Dean Clancy, Senior Policy Fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Dean. Tell us about Americans for Prosperity. Americans for Prosperity is a national grassroots advocacy organization uh, trying to reignite the American dream. We work to uh, remove barriers mostly government barriers between you and your version of the American dream. We believe in uh, individual liberty, uh, free enterprise, and smaller constitutionally limited government. We have thousands of activists across the country and uh, paid uh, activists in uh, 37 states, and we also work in Washington. We knock on doors. We endorse candidates for office. We try to elect uh, policy champions who will move America in the direction of being America again. And that's Americans for Prosperity. I help them out with uh, health policy. So uh, the, the, give us the website. Uh, Americansforprosperity.org. Americansforprosperity.org. Terrific organization. And uh, your job is more important than ever <laughs> right now. Oh, thank so, you. So uh, you're speaking about uh, house passing a couple of personal options solutions, expanding access to affordable health care. This is kind of music to our ears here. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, sure. Uh, let me start by defining personal option. That's a term that uh, we at AFP use to describe health reforms that put you, the patient, more in charge of your own care, give you more choice and control and remove barriers between you and the medical professionals you trust. Uh, in the wake of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, which has really devastated our health system, driven up the cost of health care, made it harder to find a doctor, we think Americans need a personal option approach to bring down costs, improve quality, and our polling shows that that, in fact, is what they want. They prefer that over a government approach like Medicare for All, uh, significantly, like by 20 points, mm. uh, the House of Representatives in Washington uh, last week did something very exciting. 
they advanced a personal option in health care by passing a pair of really important uh, reforms. I wouldn't say that they, you know, transform American health care, but they will improve it in important ways. And um, this was the House Republicans, uh, you know, they have the gavels now, they control the House, and they uh, pushed this through. It was unfortunately a party-line vote. The Democrats opposed the legislation, uh, but it has passed the House, and it goes on to the Senate, and we're hopeful that we can persuade the Senate to pass it, put it on President Biden's desk. Now, you're asking, okay, Dean, what, what does the bill do? Well, it does two important things. First, it increases the portability of workplace health insurance. In other words, it makes it easier for you to keep your health coverage when you change jobs. Mm. That's really important because in America, most people get their health care through the workplace, but they have to change plans when they change jobs. Sometimes they lose coverage. Uh, Second, the bill increases the affordability of health insurance by making it easier for small businesses and uh, independent contractors, gig workers, and so on, to kind of band together and obtain health insurance at group rates, as if they were, uh, you know, a large employer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's called association health plans. And the first uh, reform I described is, is described in the bill as choice plans. So the House passed choice plans and association health plans, and the effect is to make workplace health insurance more portable and affordable. That's important, and, and we're very excited about it. It sounds very exciting, and of course, making sure the House, that's important. Uh, what are the chances of this getting through? I mean, I, I know that uh, Biden loves unions, for example. These associations don't sound like unions. I just wonder if, if uh, <laughs> he's going to get the support. Well, the president threatened uh, that if the bill gets to him, he will veto it. This is interesting, because uh, never before until last week had Joe Biden or really any national Democrats, to my knowledge, criticized either of these two reforms. Uh, the ideas have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Choice plans is something that uh, uh, Republicans um, uh, first talked about in 2018, 2019, and um, this bill would you know, basically uh, put them into the statute book. No Democrats oppose them, to my knowledge. And um, association health plans, many Democrats have supported them in the past. Hmm. Uh, But when it came time to vote on it last week, uh, basically Democrats decided to put election year politics ahead of of good policy, and they just became lockstep in favor, uh, or excuse me, opposed uh, to these reforms. And so it looks a lot like it's just politics. But you asked about the Senate. The Senate is evenly divided. There are uh, 50, uh, Democrat, 51 Democrats and uh, 49 Republicans. Yeah. And uh, so they can theoretically block the bill there. But if we could get a Democrat to switch, then we would have um, a chance of getting it through. Now, you do have to get past the filibuster rule in the Senate. That means effectively you need 60 members, not just 50. And so uh, you would need a handful of Democrats to come along. And, of course, that's going to be tough because of this polarized uh, atmosphere on health care that we have right now. But we're going to work on it. We're going to try. We're going to persuade them. I mean, the thing is, these reforms don't hurt anybody. They only make our health care system better, and it needs help. And voters are demanding change. Our polling shows that 70% of Americans think American health care is either broken or has terribly... Uh, important problems that need to be repaired. Forty percent of Americans think the cost of health care is simply a crisis. And so they're demanding action. And if Democrats are standing in the way of common sense reforms that make health care more affordable and easier to carry from job to job, well, then voters are going to take that into account in the 2024 elections. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's hard. to. I'm scratching my head saying, uh, how is it politically expedient to uh, 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 reduce the choice and uh, expand the cost of health care when, in fact, you have a couple of solutions that are available that can make you look good if you vote for them? I just don't understand the logic there. Yeah, well, I think it's just the fact that uh, health care got very polarized, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 13 years ago when the nation was debating 
the so-called Affordable Care Act. I call it the Unaffordable Care Act because that's the effect right. that it has had. And, um, you know, the, if you ask of voters which party do you trust on health care, they will say Democrats, much more so than Republicans, uh, because I think that's because they t- typically only hear about health care from Democrats. Yeah. Republicans tend to either run away from the issue or are unclear what they want to do. Plus, Democrats are always trying to offer, you know, uh, utopia. They say, oh, well, we're just going to give you free stuff and it's it's going to be great. And the, basically, their, their solution is let's just put the government in charge and everything will be fine. We know from the experience of many other nations that it doesn't work that way, Absolutely. that if you don't allow market forces to work. You don't allow patients to, to basically hire the doctors and hospitals they want with no you know, insurance company or government middlemen. Uh, your system is going to have serious problems. So voters trust Democrats on health care, but they don't actually have a good reason to do so. Um, and Republicans uh, have typically been gun-shy, especially in the last few years. But th- this new legislation that passed the House last week shows Republicans are willing to get back up on the horse. They're going to try to make our health care system better. And they found a very good uh, way to do it. And uh, they should be encouraged uh, well, for doing that. Absolutely. I just really appreciate your efforts, Dean, and uh, the efforts of the Americans for Prosperity. Uh, I would suppose the best thing we could do is call our senator's office and uh, suggest that they vote for this. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> I would uh, urge folks to call your United States senators. Every state has two of those easy to look up. In fact, you can find that information uh, at our website, uh, americansforprosperity.org, and just let them know you support uh, the, the Choice Plans Act, which choices in all capital letters. It's uh, The bill number is H.R. 3799, H.R. 3799. And if the Senate would just pass that bill, we could put a really great pair of reforms on President Biden's desk. Dean, I just genuinely appreciate your uh, commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we'll be visiting uh, with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Gain the skills you want so you'll be in demand by employers. That's what Hodges University's workforce readiness is all about. Choose your specialty from EV technician, automation, robotics, real estate, insurance, and electronics to programming boot camps, supply chain management, and more. These classes are online, affordable, and focused on what you need to know. Learn more today by visiting Hodges.edu and clicking on Workforce Readiness. Because with Hodges University, you'll stay near and go far. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, great breakfast and lunch is now serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. It is absolutely terrific. Give it a try. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We want you to be free to live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others. Terrific organization. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. So, Michael, I understand that uh, I just got off the phone with uh, Dean uh, Clancy from the Americans for Prosperity. We're talking a little bit about the uh, choice plans. I understand there's some individual plans that are coming out that could be interesting for us. So today, President Biden is going to make an announcement. He's going to announce that he is throwing people out of their health insurance, sick people, and leaving them with nothing for no insurance for up to a year. Of course, President Biden's not going to say that explicitly. Uh, no politician would. Right. He's going to say something about protecting patients, and the media is generally going to be compliant and say that he's cracking down on uh, certain types of health insurance plans. But what he's really doing is telling sick people who have a type of coverage that's not Obamacare, but it's perfectly adequate, that uh, we don't like the, the fact that those health insurance plans can compete with Obamacare. So we are going to require insurers to throw you out of your plans after three or four months, even if you got sick it, it, during that three or four months that you really need the coverage too bad, we're going to throw you out, the insurance company's not going to sell you additional coverage, and you can't enroll in Obamacare for up to another year. So you're going to be on your own, sick, uninsured, trying to pay thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills. Good luck. That is the import of the rule that President Biden is going to be announcing today. It is a rule to, to impose cruel limits, and strip health insurance protections from a type of insurance that is exempt from Obamacare rules and therefore not only provides uh, coverage that's more affordable than Obamacare, but also provides better coverage than Obamacare. And uh, Obamacare fans don't like the competition. So this sounds like another uh, debt forgiveness program. How How can he unilaterally do this without the act of Congress? Congress exempts something called short-term limited duration insurance from all federal health insurance regulations. But the law does not specify what short-term means or what limited duration means. And so when that happens, when Congress uh, fails to provide a, a more specific definition, then the executive branch gets to define what those terms mean within reasonable parameters. Unfortunately, the parameters that President Biden is choosing and that President Obama chose before him in 2016 are not reasonable. First of all, as I said, they would throw sick people out of their health insurance and leave them with nothing. And we have evidence of this. I can tell you stories about how this happened under the Obama rule. But it's also not reasonable because when the Obama and Biden administration say you cannot renew These short-term plans, they are not just regulating, but banning a type of insurance called a renewal guarantee over which they have absolutely no statutory authority at all. So this this is not a reasonable interpretation of, of federal law. The much better interpretation is the current one, the one that is in place right now that President Trump put in place in 2018 that says, look, uh, the initial contract can la- for your short-term plan can last 12 months. You can extend it for up to 36 months. And then since uh, people say we don't have the power to regulate uh, a renewal guarantee, which is insurance against your premiums going up, uh, you can use one of those renewal guarantees to string together lots and lots of these short-term plans uh. so they last not 12 months or or 36 months, but years and years and years. In fact, Bob, they can provide cradle-to-grave coverage that is more secure and more affordable than Obamacare, and that's exactly why President Biden wants to basically ban them uh, uh, because they don't like the competition. So here's the deal. I mean, Obamacare is a total disaster and a total failure, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's only about 10% of the uh, insurable population that actually has Obamacare. The, and the, it, the structure of it is just absolutely 
the opposite of what you might want. You'd want to have something that's a catastrophic care and allow for health savings accounts and so forth. This is not going to sell in Peoria. What? How, how in the heck is he going to win an election trying to tout this kind of stuff? Well, it helps that he has the media reporting that <clears throat> these short-term plans are junk plans. They are not. Yeah. Uh, it's Obamacare that's the junk insurance. Right. Because economists have shown that Obamacare's supposed consumer protections are actually costing sick patients thousands of dollars per year, right. leaving them with worse coverage, and uh, leaving everybody, healthy and sick people alike, with inadequate coverage. So the media have this this narrative completely backward, and that's going to help President Biden. Fortunately, I think if he tries to ban these renewal guarantees, that will set up a court challenge that can settle once and for all that these types of plans can provide secure cradle-to-grave coverage more affordably than Obamacare. Oh, from your lips to God's ears. So what can we do to support this effort? I mean, if this is important, this is an important issue. Well, there. this is what we call a proposed rule that Biden announced today. This is a proposal to change the Trump interpretation of the law. And there are 60 days that the public has to comment on the proposal. And so one thing that the public can do is they can say they can uh, go to the Department of Health and Human Services website. They can uh, uh, offer comments on the rule. Uh, note that this would hurt sick people. Note that the Biden administration doesn't have the authority to do this. They can talk about the example of Gene Balvin, who was a 61-year-old Phoenix, Arizona resident when she bought a a short-term plan that was much more affordable than the Obamacare coverage that was available to her. And then she was hospitalized for diverticulitis. Her short-term plan covered that. But then uh, the Obama rule, which is what basically what Biden wants to reinstate, threw her out of that coverage. Uh. And then when she was hospitalized two more times for diverticulitis, she had no coverage. She, if, if, the, if the Obama administration had done nothing or if the Trump rule had been in place, then she would have had secure coverage to cover all three hospitalizations. But instead, the kind of rules that Biden wants to put in place left her with about $100,000 of medical debt. And that is, that is not consumer protection. That is not compassionate. That is just cruel. Cruel indeed. We're the government, and we're here to help you. <laughs> Again, uh, Michael, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining. Again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Bob. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. He is an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. ask yourself why people are the way they are. If you're fascinated by human behavior and you want to make a career of it, you know where you need to start? Hodges University with a bachelor's degree in applied psychology. Your professors are practicing professionals that bring your classes to life with life chat discussions and various projects. You know, having a deeper understanding of what motivates people can lead to careers in counseling, sales, human resources. Your passion can be your career. So get started today. What are you waiting for? Visit Hodges.edu or stop by their campus in Fort Myers. They're at the corner of Colonial and Winkler. Because with Hodges University, you're going to stay near and go far. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability to help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature and you can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org we have with us professor larry bell endowed professor at the university of houston in space architecture he's written about a dozen books they are just terrific his latest is architectures beyond boxes and boundaries my life by design by larry bell also, he has his column in Newsmax.com. It comes out a couple of times a week. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. So you wrote a piece, I think, apropos for uh, the 4th of July and Independence Day. True patriotism values are freedom, markets, and opportunities. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's a lot more personal of an article than I... And I typically write, but uh, I was thinking about patriotism and what the word means, and I opened the article talking about uh, experience when I was I was in my early twenties, barely that. I was in the Air Force. Uh, I was an air traffic controller, and I was stationed in Greenland. It was my as my fourth year, and and. Uh, it was it was enormously cold. This was Arctic winter, and it was about four months of uh, blackness and really you know darkness, no sunlight, and it's really really cold temperatures and wind and so on. And it was it was nighttime. The only reason I knew it was night rather than noon was was they played taps on the loudspeaker. Mm. This was a small little base called Sandstrom Fjord, and. Uh, this isolated little base, and uh, they played taps. And 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 in the long historic uh, uh, protocol was that you all activities stop, and you you uh, face in the direction of where, where the flag is, American flag is, and you and you salute, yeah. you salute the flag. And and I, I, you know, it was very very cold. It was dark. I thought I was alone, and. I stopped in place, and I faced in the direction of where I thought the flag was, but I didn't salute. I had my hands in my pocket, in my parka, because I was so cold. And uh, I thought, but but they, we we served as two-person teams in air traffic control. I talked in planes with radar in bad weather, and uh, and, and and my teammate was a master sergeant. And I really respected him very much. And he saw that I didn't salute. And he let me know that he was really personally offended by that. And uh, I was so ashamed. You know, he was a World War II veteran. And I was just so ashamed that, you know, that and, and embarrassed and so on. And well, I vividly remember this now, uh, you know, 60-some years later. And... Uh, and then I was recalling how, when I went, when I enlisted, back in this is back in the, in the late late fifties, mid mid fifties. Uh, we were a nation at peace, and so my and it was the Fourth of July 
kind of article, and I said that, you know, the 4th of July, as I recall them, were kind of celebrations because we were, as a nation, we were a nation at peace, and there's a sense of kind of complacency. So the 4th of July was floats and chicken fried, you know, in the park, and and uh, fireworks in the evening with choral events and so on. And, you know, quite happy, magical times, particularly for young children. And, and, and so, you know, my, and I, when I think what I enlisted, I was certainly out of love of country, but I never, I didn't really see the country under threat uh, or its values under threat. Mm. But then when I went in the Air Force, when I, when I, uh, later in life, when the Soviet Union collapsed, in the late 80s, I was one of the first Americans invited over there several times to to meet with heads of the Russian space program. And uh, and when I went over there, it was a total shock to see how a system of government under under, under Marxism and, and Stalinism could so thoroughly destroy the spirit of the country. You know, you have a here, here, the country that gave us the Bolshoi and you know Tchaikovsky and great poets and so many things. They couldn't build an automobile that was that was any good. Our services were terrible, and the work ethic was in the general population. You know, of course, space program they were excellent because they really outstanding people. But work work ethic was terrible because there was no incentive to uh, perform, and uh, it, it was just. I, I couldn't believe how, and everywhere I went, I was followed, and you know, there, and and, and uh, you know, never never had a conversation of any substance in a room because all the rooms were tapped and bugged, and huh. and and to see how a system of government could so thoroughly corrupt uh, a civilization, a society. And these were these were friends of mine, you know, that I got to know, and I really, I really, I, 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 just wonderful people as individuals. I made a point in the article that we as individuals are no better, you know, we're the same as, you know, you know, we're not more talented, we're not smarter, we're not more attractive, we're not more anything than than other countries. But what what we do have is a system, you know, we have a government uh, mm-hmm. that. In a constitution, and and free markets that offer incentives and merit and so on, and and uh, I think patriotism is is not blind is you know, wording mouthing words for a country, but but patriotism is really understanding the you know the, you know, the benefits of opportunity we have of of um, equal equal rights and opportunities for everybody. And I believe that's really true. Yeah, absolutely, I Professor. I mean, it's, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 I've pretty much... <clears throat> well, yeah, only, only to comment that we're so fortunate to live uh, under the rule of law that uh, it's being applied some places more than other places. We're fortunate here to live on the Paradise Coast here in Florida. But uh, other places are not so fortunate, for example, Chicago and other urban areas. But the point being is that uh, we should embrace what we have because, you know, as Reagan said, it, in a generation we can lose it. And we're watching the attack right now on our constitutional rights and our fr- freedom and our the free markets. Uh, and uh, we should cherish it, uh, which is what you're pointing out in your column. Well, I think there is a complacency and you know, we, we, we do take these things for granted and 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 we're losing them so fast because you know we see what what the last just the last few years have brought and yeah. and uh, I'm terrified by what's happening and I guess part of me says well at what point do people wake up you know what how much how much do we have to lose yeah before before we realize it even worse how much do we have to lose before we can't recover right. Professor, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax.com and check out your column, On Point. Always provocative and interesting. Really appreciate your commentary on the show, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us. 
And Bob, thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got great guests uh, on Monday. Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. Larry Reed, president emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, author and former Barron's Washington Bureau chief, will be with us as well. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>